Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm very excited about today's episode because we have an exceptionally unique guest, somebody very special to us, and I'm very excited to introduce you to her and have a fantastic conversation. So today's guest, um, as many of you know, this show is sponsored by Skillful, and today's guest is a member of the Skillful team. She just completed a significant professional development goal, and I wanted to bring her here to tell us all about it. She is currently the learning performance designer for Skillful. Please welcome to the show, Erica Keener. Hello, Erica. Hi, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on. I'm so excited to have you here. I've been dying to have this conversation with you about your, uh, the accomplishment of your recent goal. And as we were kind of thinking about uh, some of the shows we had lined up, we thought it would just be a perfect time for us to share your learnings with our audience. And perhaps, you know, we really try not to talk too much about Skillful on the show because the show is not just about Skillful. The show is really about just the challenges associated with technology adoption in general. But you have such a great vantage point because you work with our clients and get to see uh, the ways that they're implementing with Skillful and some of the challenges that they have even alongside uh, implementing with Skillful. And so I thought it'd be such a great opportunity for us to bring that experience to the show and share those uh, observations and insights with the audience. So let's yeah, get started. Yeah, it's exciting. Thank you. I'm going to ask you the same question that we ask every one of our other guests. And I want to get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. Just to summarize what I, I think the biggest challenge is, it's balancing the need for autonomy with a potential lack of communication. And to, to, to justify that a little bit, I feel like the folks who are out have to be self-reliant. They have to be able to make decisions without a whole lot of guidance. Um, but then there's things that happen during the eight to five business hours where they're not informed of what those changes are. So the expectation is that they will make great decisions. In fact, the same decisions that maybe, you know, corporate or their supervisor would make, but they don't have the knowledge to make that decision. And that causes a rift that contributes to the us versus them type of situation. And, and so I would, I would say they are expected to be self-sufficient, but they're not given the empowerment to be self-sufficient. That's really pretty powerful. You also just said something that I think is is interesting, and it's come up on a few of the shows, but it's kind of the us versus them, that rift that you just mm-hmm. talked about. I think when we have talked with a lot of our, our guests who have been change management professionals, they're very aware of that challenge, and they work really hard to, to try to solve for that. So I'm curious, I, I know we're, we're going to save some of these topics until we get further into the show. I'm going to give everybody a little bit about, you know, your background, but before we get into that, I'd be curious to say like, or ask you, is there a way that you see to overcome that? What do you think might be some of the ways that we can be empowering for them right out of the gate 
to maybe eliminate some of that friction? Yeah. So right out of the gate, if if anyone's ever in a scenario where there is an us versus them situation, the the, the fastest way is just make it us. <laughs> and I know that's so much easier said than than accomplished, but um, in in adult you know learning theory and brains and most people who experience trying to convince an adult to do anything at all it's pretty common knowledge that adults tend to follow their own advice and their own plans much better than other people nudging them in a particular direction. So I think just involving people, um, not only keeping them informed through great communication, but involving them in what that change is is potentially going to be, um, makes them part of the team instead of something that's being done to them or getting in their way because it's being done. Uh, So yeah, let's just get rid of the them. Let's just make it us. Fantastic. I think that's really good advice. And uh, that's a really good quote for today's show. Just make it us. I love that. I think we should put that up on our wall. Oh, great. So let's, um, let's let the audience understand a little bit about who they're hearing from here. You have a really interesting background. Mm-hmm. I was going back over. I mean, we've known each other now for a couple of years, but um, I, I went, went back over your LinkedIn profile, just like I do for all of the other guests. And I was reminded I had a couple of aha moments as I was going back over your past. So Take us back through that journey. Uh, how did you end up working at Skillful and, and what did your career look like before uh, you got here? Yeah, so there's a sea change involved in there. Um, sure. I originally was a career trajectory in clinical medicine. Um, so I, I was that person at the surgeon or the doctor in the ER, like getting your blood and doing all the clinical hands-on things. And I'm, I'm still a total science nerd. Um, but as I... Uh, grew into that career. Um, my career path turned more towards an administrative side, more of the business aspect of it. And uh, when I got the opportunities to run clinics myself and to you know have staff and, and manage that, the thing that I really, really loved was onboarding. And it sounds so silly because for being such a sciencey nerd um, and having the opportunity to participate in surgeries and procedures and research, the, the thing that I loved was teaching other people how to get excited about that. Um, and so it, it seems like a very drastic change, but I got more into um, the corporate trainer, which is a really easy entry into the learning and development space. Um, I also had a bridge in medicine. So EMR training uh, was a very natural kind of progression. And that led to um developing curriculum where none existed and being able to get more into the analytics of it. Um, you know, I still very much uh, appreciate getting a return on investment for the companies. As you know, I'm a total sellout. I got my MBA uh, a couple of years back. So I'm, I'm very much now business-minded um, and bridging the gap between the people who are making the business go and what the business needs to do to be successful. Um, And that's how it happened. So for about the past 10 years, it's really been about learning and development in any industry. I'm no longer, you know, pigeonholed into medicine, although I still love it. Um, And just getting out there and meeting tons of people and seeing how I can kind of do the most good um, by maintaining those two visions simultaneously. Like what does the learner need? And then what does that business need? And how do we, how do we mesh those together? Is there anything you miss about clinical medicine? part of your career? Oh, you know, I, I think I miss, uh, kind of sitting around after work and swapping like gross stories. Um, 
you know, there's, it's just, there's just a funness about being in, in the weeds in an emergency room at two in the morning and you survive the night and there's just an adrenaline that's involved in that. Um, not that there's not adrenaline and learning and development, but there's, there's certainly less risk of, you know, getting hepatitis. It's good. (laughs) Is it less risk or no risk? I'm curious. I would hope no risk. (laughs) Just wanted to be clear on that. (laughs) That's really good. So when you ended up at Skillful, I think even your job is, has changed a little bit since even when you first came on. I, I think um, as I think back to when you first came on the team, we were still, not that we're not still trying to do this, but we're still trying to figure out what are the roles? How should we define the roles? And um, what are the skills that we're looking for to help develop us as a product company and to help ensure success with our clients? Why don't you just share a little bit about what you do at Skillful and how you're helping our clients today? Yeah, uh, which is so exciting. And it's it's good to be part of a team where there is, um, you know, reach in, in the job scope and getting to learn new things and professional development. So I think um, originally what the plan for me was, was to come in a very specific, you know, learning development specialist, um, curriculum design you know, kind of kind of applying the learning theory that, you know, I've picked up over the years to what was already being done and make a couple of tweaks. Um, I have been so lucky to, to come into a team where I could look at it from a user perspective and say, hey, it'd be kind of cool if we could do ABC and then the dev team actually does it. Um, that's amazing. And then getting more opportunities to get in front of our customers, which has been very satisfying for me because I enjoy talking to people and I I do miss a little bit of that, the the old days with the, you know, 10 hours of classroom training. So getting to connect with the learners, getting to connect with, um, everybody involved in the ladder of these, these projects has been very exciting. Um, what I feel I I bring to the table now is still that I still can say, Hey, I, I understand your goals. This would be the most efficient and effective way to achieve those goals. I still get to do authoring of, you know, the development and the design part of it. Um, but now I also feel like I'm, I'm bringing more of a, a, a total project awareness into it, um, which is not just the project management portion of it, but how we can guide companies through change where maybe they were a little not as prepared as they thought, um, you know, to, to, they just thought, okay, we're going to buy it and implement it. And skip a few steps in between. And I, I've really been able to see what that looks like when it's done well and what that looks like when there's maybe more room for improvement and how that's going to affect the outcome of, of uh, the success of our customers. Yeah, that's such a great way to set the stage for our conversation today because I think this podcast, I, I have learned so much as one of the hosts of this podcast by talking with all the amazing professionals that we've had on the show prior to today that have really expanded my understanding about the need for um, an effective strange change management strategy and, and execution. And it's helped me understand, even as the, you know, one of the proud leaders of a business where I think we're really trying to change the way large enterprise handles technology adoption for their frontline workers, I have gotten very comfortable with the statement that if you think you're just going to buy skillful and not combine that with a solid communication and change plan then you're just adding another piece of software to your tech stack that's also probably not going to work, right? And, and I hate saying that for the reason I don't want to push a, you know, a potential customer away from us, but it does really require 
um, a, a thoughtful process. And I think we've had the, the good fortune of learning and we get to see a lot of different customers and how they implement. And like you said, some have, have done a spectacular job. Others have a little bit more room for improvement and just in, in the, the maturity of their organization from a change standpoint. Um, but I'm so excited about the role that you play. And, and for our audience who doesn't understand, um, Erica is not just a part of a, of a learning and development team. We actually refer to it as learning and customer success because we're really combining the best practices of learning and development strategy and execution with a team that's focused on customer success for skillful customers. And so it kind of brings together a typical role in a SaaS software company, which is customer success focused, but we're bringing experts like Erica, um, you know, right in front of our customers to bring their best practices. And that's really what Erica is, uh, is doing with our clients today. Yeah. 100%. So that's a good segue into the, the professional development uh, activities that you've had going on. So tell us about what you've, you've done, why you did it, why you uh, wanted to pursue this path. Yeah. Um, I, I, first off, so fantastic. Uh, the, the, a culture in a company that supports professional development is one of the best things in the world. Um, you know, knowing that you're allowed to learn stuff fearlessly. It's just such an amazing gift that any company could give to an employee. Um, and, and as a customer success person, if I go into a company and I see that that's part of the company culture, I instantly think like these, these guys are on a next level. Like that really is very telling. So I, I appreciate that so much. Um, I had really wanted to kind of expand my scope and I was leaning towards, um, either project management, honestly, or uh, change management. And as I started to talk to the leadership in the company and started to talk to other people in the in those various industries and, and those careers, I realized that one, since learning and development is so closely rooted to change, you know, changes uh, in, of sorts, um, it made a lot more sense to do change management. It also was something that felt like a missing piece in some of the implementations that I've done, not just for this company, but in some of my past companies. And I could start to see a direct correlation between the success of those customers, which in turn is a SaaS company's success, um, and the success and the happiness and the overall uh, satisfaction of the people using the various products and their job ease that they get from it. Um, and I really just kind of attached to the idea that I'm going to learn change management. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to get this under my belt and learn what there is to know, so that I can talk that talk. Uh, and make those suggestions to our, our clients. So that's what I've um, been able to accomplish is, is taking a change management certification program. And um, now I need to practice the things that I've learned and keep repeating them so I don't forget them. Uh, but really excited to bring that missing piece to the, the table when we, we take on people and, and make these, these projects happen for them. That is so awesome. Tell, tell us about the program. Tell us the specifics that um, you chose to go down the path uh, of ATD. Tell us a little bit mm -hmm. more about that. Yeah. So that path. yeah. So ATD uh, member, which is just for people who may not be familiar, ATD is um, a, a very, very tippity top resource for people who are in the learning and development, talent development uh, space. So uh, happy to trust them uh, and, 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 you know, see them as a source of authority on this. Um, I felt like immediately knew I was in the right place because this was a good once over. This wasn't trying to focus on a specific thing. Like for example, we're, we want to change one department or we want to change, you know, a, a giant, you know, company. It was very broad so that it's applicable to every client that we would potentially, you know, have communication with, which was nice. Um, 
the focus was was very highly set on making sure that the leaders are buying in um, and that the theory that I, I kind of talked about where we need to kind of unite and get rid of the us against them attitude that that really became evident very quickly in this program but that's necessary uh, it can't just be one person saying do because I say so um, it really needs to be an entire team effort and it needs to be soup to nuts. Just everybody involved needs to know what the change is, what the goals of this are, why the change happened, how it will affect everybody else. Um, so the unification uh, of that was just really impressive to me. Um, and tons of aha moments along the way, learning about, you know, hey, that that can't just be one player in charge of everything. It needs to be, everyone needs to have certain roles and responsibilities. Um, just mind-blowing stuff for me. It was so, it was so great to sit in. You know, one of the things that came up in our conversations internally was that we have to be careful that we're not trying to position ourselves as a change management consultancy, right? Um, because we, we have a product and we're, where our primary functions here are to support our clients with the implementation of our product and, you know, their overall technology adoption challenges, you know, with frontline workers. Mm -hmm. But you've had some experiences with some of our, our client interactions where um, it, it was clear they didn't have an entire plan put forth. They may have had components of it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a, a plan. So what, what do you think our role should be? And, and I'm, you and I haven't talked a lot about this outside of the podcast. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of opening this up a little bit here just for some conversation. You know, what do you think our role should be? And yeah. in particular, when we are bringing on those clients and they may not have a full-blown OCM team in place today, they may recognize the need for it, but they may not have, you know, a very, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, maturity from a change standpoint, they may not have best practices established. So what, what can our role be then to help them? Sure. And, and I think that that's absolutely accurate. We're not trying to, you know, join the change management circuit, um, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I do think that one of the things that we're already doing as part of our project launches is, is spending just a tiny bit of time on mitigating risk. Um, and, and typically that's in the context of to the project. Um, but I think that there's a lot of value in saying, you know, hey, uh, with this with this product, the data suggests that if you can, you know, have someone to communicate, have have uh, accountability, that, you know, these these kinds of factors, you will get a better result. You'll get a better yield from this. Um, and I think that that's something that without even mentioning the words change management, customers respond to very well. Um, you know, if, if someone said, hey, buy XYZ cell phone and, it, you know, we never talk about plugging it in to charge it. <laughs> like if we tell someone charge this every night, so it'll work the whole next day, they'd be like, oh, cool. It's a good tip. Thank you. And I, I feel like that is also necessary with this. We don't have to call it change management, but we can say, hey, for this to be the, the most successful and reach the most people and give the most happiness and delight <laughs> uh, from your, your implementation, these are our recommendations. And I think that's something that's easily worked into what we already do with our clients. Can you tell the story? Well, let's not mention any proper names, although if, if those folks happen to hear the story, I don't think they'd be offended by us telling it. But we had a situation recently, we were onboarding a customer and and the term change management came up and mm -hmm. I think you know who I'm talking about. T tell us a little bit about that story and just leave I, all the proper names out to protect. Absolutely. Your, and I, yeah, absolutely. And I, when I was talking to you about it, I even mentioned, you know, like making a comparison to cooking a meal, right? So I, I said change management and almost got, you know, yuck. 
almost got this kind of response like, no, we don't, we don't do that. We don't have that. Not interested. Move on. So we're um, onboarding a new client just to give right. you a context here. We're onboarding a brand new client and we're sitting down for a series of kickoff meetings to get things rolling. And Erica mentions change management and everybody's like, wait a second, we don't want any of that. Oh yeah. It was, it was a very, very obvious reaction, vocal reaction to the concept of change management. Um, as we started to continue our discovery and, and kick off the process, um, we started dropping hints about maybe maybe we can get the supervisors, you know, we're doing this hierarchy, maybe we can get the supervisors to train first and then they could show people how great this was and train the trainer. And, and then they started, the, the client starts kicking out ideas and starting to get excited. Yeah, we could have one meeting, we could have a lunch and learn and they could come in and they could do the, we should make them do this. And they got so excited. Um, and I said, okay, I, I can see what's happening here. Like we said, change management and that shut the door. That was a bias. Uh, it's like offering somebody a vegetarian meal first, right? You give them the food and it's delicious and then they love it. And then you can tell them it's vegetarian. This is what we need to do. We need to not say change management. We need to talk about customer success uh, at first and let them come up with all these great ideas. Uh, and that was just proof positive because by the end of that discovery session, um, we probably could say, hey, you're change managers. We already identified who's who and who's going to do what and all these great plans. And uh, they really had excitement for it where their first reaction was, was honestly just to say bleh. <laughs> well, I love the story because it is about 180 degrees opposite <laughs> from some other stories that I've heard as the host of the podcast. And so I want to just call out that contrast for you and for any of the listeners. So what we've heard from some other change management folks is that their frustration is that deep into a project plan somebody will come in to the OCM team and say like, hey, can you guys come in? Hey, I know it's the 11th hour, but we need to put a little bit of that change management stuff on this project. Like it's some kind of mm -hmm. bolt on thing that they can just yeah. add a line item at the end. And so in that case, the contrast from your story is that in this case, stakeholders are actually coming and saying, hey, we need a little bit of that change management stuff. Hey, can you put a little bit of hot mm -hmm. sauce on top of that meal? Exactly. <laughs> right. And exactly. It's, like, it's really way too late if you're already in the 11th hour to bring in some of that change management and sprinkle some of the magic dust on top of the project and just expect that things are going to magically get better. Agreed. And, I, and so that part has made a lot of sense when we've talked about that in the show, but the story that you just told, I think is, is kind of the opposite of that. Right. And it's, it's people kind of pushing back perhaps because of the terminology. And I wonder if there are some things for our audience to learn, even some of the experienced, you know, OCM folks out there who may be, you know, many of our guests are really advocates, evangelists for change management. And I wonder sometimes if the terminology that they may be using is actually causing the listeners to push back a little bit because they're like, hey, we don't want to have to learn this whole like new thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the way that, that you and the team kind of talk through this scenario with our client was to say, okay, well, let's just stop using that terminology and let's just talk about what some of the best practices are, right? It doesn't yeah. matter all them. But we can work on the, the glossary of terms later. Right. Well, let's just talk through some best practices here. And through that, it's a lot of common sense, kind of simple stuff. Mm -hmm. But what you found was that it became much more effective to just talk about it in simpler terms. And, and that's what I thought was so exciting about that example. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And we can take that and we can go forward with that, you know, learning from that experience. And we have this example now of like, hey, how did we get them excited about this? And let's keep doing that. Let's keep the momentum up through the entire project and all the way through until it's actually been not just implemented, but indoctrinated into their their new normal. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk about some things that happen maybe in the absence of a well thought out change strategy, because we have experienced this a couple of times as a team um, with some of our clients. And I always want to make sure that we are learning so that we can be a better partner to our customers. But also let's, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to help raise awareness of these types of things for anybody who may be listening or, or watching. So what are some of the things that go wrong with implementations of technology on the front lines when there hasn't been a well thought out change plan put in place? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's almost the formula to create a failure, you know, and there's, there's things that, that happen so consistently. Um, the, the, the big things are lack of communication. Um, and, and I'm going to use the word accountability. Uh, and that's a little bit of a dicey word to use because I don't mean that I should be punished if I'm not on board. Um, but you, you, need to clearly understand what happens if we don't change, uh, which kind of loops back into communication. So what we've observed when there's not quite a unified goal, for example, um, you know, oh, I want this product because it'll save me money. No, I want it because it'll save me time. That communication gets too muddy. People ask, why are we doing this change? And they get different answers that, that invalidates the change. So we need a unified concept. We need a, a unified message at all levels. Um, I, I think when there is um, lack of inputs from all levels, you know, the person who's out there, you know, working on repairing an elevator in the middle of a desert, they have no internet connection. They didn't work given an email address as part of their gig. We've just severed their communication. So now things happen to them. Um, and if you don't explain to them, hey, what, what are your thoughts? We made this decision that we're going to make a change. Have you had experience with these various apps? Have you uh, had any experience with, with this? Do you want it configured in a certain way? So when there's a lack of that, it does cause what I call an arm crosser sometimes. It's a, you know, that person who's like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing it on paper because that's what I know. Um, and, and there also needs to be a, a bit of an accountability component. And what I mean by that is, you know, it, it doesn't have to be grand scale. I know we're, we're talking about most of uh, our customers or big companies, um, but if you are trying to train one, one soul <laughs> to do something, uh, it doesn't matter who that is. If it's a, a coworker, a child, a dog, it doesn't matter. But if you're trying to teach something and get a certain outcome and you give up on that um, because, well, that's going to be what it's going to be, or what can you do? You can't make them you know, read a book, you can't make them do something in a certain way. Um, that also kind of breaks down the, the, the unified harmonized goal that leadership could have, you know, that the whole company could have. So there needs to be some kind of rationale where it's like, we need you to do this training in this way. Here's why. What are your thoughts about that? Let's anticipate some of the resistance. Talk to me about that because there might be a really good reason why and we can fix it and move forward together so that everybody's moving towards that same goal. They know why, they know what's in it for them, hugely important. And also they know what happens, what the consequences could be 
like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be really slow. I'm not using the app anymore. Or, oh no, I can't print receipts because I, I don't use the app. Um, so it doesn't have to be negative. Uh, I just want to make that really clear. Accountability isn't negative. It's just awareness and part of that communication. And when we've seen that kind of, hey, I don't really care if people do this this way or not, even though we paid for something. Um, you know, when we see uh, somebody accepting the excuse of, you know, well, it wasn't my idea, so I'm not going to do it. Um, th there you go. It's easier to just abandon what the change is supposed to be than it is to try to manage the team that you're supposed to be uniting. So we, we, we see that formula quite a bit. Don't communicate. Don't make anybody responsible. Uh, have different stories. Every time you ask, it's different. All those things are a great way to just abandon what you're trying to accomplish. <laughs> to fail, to assure. To fail. Yeah. You know, you were, uh, you and I were together at a client site when I met, uh, you may have met him as well, a guy named Eric. I won't mention any other proper names, but we, we met a gentleman, yeah. Eric, and he told us some things that have stuck with me. And I've, I've probably told the story a thousand times, but one of the things that he said is, um, I'm the one, when I go out in the field, I'm by myself, I'm standing in front of a customer. And he said the words that have just stuck with me. He said, I feel like I'm on an island. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Man, that was such a powerful statement for me to hear from him. It's still, I have like a, an emotional reaction every time I, I tell that story because I just think that was, it was just like so real with that guy, Eric, that day. He, uh, it just speaks to like, this isn't just about the job. It isn't just about some new mobile device and some new mobile application. Mm -hmm. This is about a human being that feels stranded to an extent because we're asking him to use technology that he may not understand. He may not feel prepared for right. the feeling that he had. He describes being out on an Island, even though he was in the middle of a busy city. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, and so when you talk about, you know, the example of the elevator and they're disconnected and they're out in the desert, you know, it's, it's like, that's kind of the visual. And even though the workers may not be physically there in that mm -hmm. scenario, they may not really be in a desert or really in a basement with no connectivity. That is the way that they feel. And yeah. that I believe in large part is because of a lack of uh, effective communications. And it, what we have seen too often, and this is what you and the team are really trying to help our customers think through a little bit, is that the communication at best is like a, a box checking exercise in some cases, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, we sent out an email or, you know, we put up signs or something like that, you know, but we really have to think about it all the way down to the level of Eric and say, well, how can we really make sure that all of the Eric's that are out there don't, we don't ever put them in a position where they, they feel like they're stranded. The other thing that you mentioned that I think is, is really powerful. And I'd actually like you to touch on it a little bit more is we've learned as a team, the importance of the frontline leadership. Mm -hmm. So I'll admit, I think for the first few years of the business, and I've shared this with others before, I think we were so hyper-focused on the men and women on the front lines themselves, because that's where we saw the problem that we were trying to help solve with skillful and, and the services and, and technology that we had there, that we, we briefly lost sight of the importance of the supervisors and managers in the field. You've had right. some experiences there. Anything that come to mind about lessons learned or observations that you've had when we see disconnect or maybe just an absence of participation from the men and women in that, those frontline leadership positions? Yeah, hundred percent. And the first thing that pops in my head isn't actually the answer to your question immediately, but it's a little bit of kudos to that position um, because I'm out there. Uh, I'm, I'm a delivery driver. You know, I deliver widgets to a store. I do this starting at two in the morning. I work on Saturday and Sunday. 
Um, I am just boots on the ground hustling. Uh, my supervisor is probably taking up routes when people call in sick, <laughs> which happened a lot in 2020. When people yeah. turn over, they're probably picking up their own routes. They're also the, the foreman type of leader. So they're the ones that people call when there's a problem. So even though I'm not working at two in the morning on a Sunday, I'm getting phone calls at two in the morning on a Sunday when people need my help. So it is very mission critical that we incorporate who is, you know, you know, the kind of shepherding the people who are doing a lot of the heavy lifting and how much heavy lifting are we asking them to do as well. And so I just want to give kind of kudos to them. There's essential workers need essential leaders and, and they're out there just busting <laughs> their boots to get, to get stuff done. And I applaud them for that. Um, what right. we have, I, before oh, I'm sorry. We past that, I've <laughs> captured that quote that you just said, essential <laughs> workers need essential leaders. I want to repeat that one more time. Essential workers need essential leaders. That is brilliant. And <laughs> a lot can be summarized in that statement. So thank you. And, and sorry of course. No, no. So I, I, I just first and foremost wanted to, to give them some kudos where it's due. Um, that being said, there's always two paths that we've seen. We've seen the path where um, a, a leader or foreman, whatever the role is, is defined as, um, let's say that they don't, they, they, for whatever reason, don't invest the energy into, um, the training, the development, the support of, of the people there, um, not pointing fingers at whatever reason this happens. Sometimes it's because they have to pick up their own routes. Um, but if, if I were to create a persona of someone who's like, eh, do it or don't, I don't care. I just need to tick a box to show that I gave you training. I don't even care if you take it. Um, and I'm making up, this isn't a real person. I'm just making up some kind of really, really negative persona. Um, there's going to be much less success. Um, and, and in fact, that kind of attitude becomes a little bit contagious because it's easy to be non-compliant. <laughs> it's actually the easier path to not learn new things and to just use inertia to get through your day. Um, and, and I feel like that, that person, uh, would probably also not really uh, deliver the, the business intent as much. They, they maybe wouldn't be so goal-oriented because they're willing to let the people who are achieving the goals slide. The opposite of that persona would be someone who is excited. They are wanting to simultaneously cut down on those 2 a.m. phone calls <laughs> and empower their people to not have to call them, um, but, but retain the relationship where they can call them. They know that there's a, you know, an open door policy. They understand from, uh, you know, the business decisions that are made and they can convey why that's a good thing for the folks that they're supervising. They can nurture these people. They can see other potential supervisors and the people they're talking to who are now the driver every day. So I feel like there's a much more kind of positive culture versus negative culture when that, that one tier up leadership position is either it just as invested um, in the success, the overall success, uh, versus not really caring and just kind of showing up and getting through a day. And they don't realize that they're in a position to affect other people's careers because of it. So I, I would hopefully be able to get an ear of the person and kind of convert them a little bit into being invested in, in being that, that great go-between, but also making their job a little easier. <laughs> That's huge. And, and I think as I've thought about this problem in recent weeks and months, it's made me realize that some of the people that 
are probably the biggest challenges are challenges um, maybe for really good reasons. And what I mean by that is there's a tendency for some of those frontline supervisors to be know-it-alls, but, but in a good way, they know a lot. They, they were promoted because they have a lot of on-the-job experience and they're seen as a go-to person on the team. And so when there's an opportunity for them to be promoted, they get that promotion. And I've often wondered if that part of their personality that makes them a great fit for that role makes them have a difficult or causes them to have a difficult time letting go of being the subject matter expert for so many things firsthand. Mm-hmm. It makes them feel good that they're the go-to person for that stuff, right? And rather than look at it as an opportunity to develop the folks that work for them and you know they, they actually cherish the fact that they're needed, that mm-hmm. somebody's got to call them. And so they may complain and, and probably legitimately hate the call at 2 a.m., but they might like, there might be a part of their personality that likes that they're dependent on yeah. right? and sees that as their role as a maybe newly minted supervisor or manager, you know, in a frontline capacity like that. And I wonder if there are ways that people doing the things that we do and the, the clients that we work with can help to, I don't know, reduce that burden on them and help them see the light that we're not trying to take you out of the mix. We're, we're trying to save you for those moments that your skills are most necessary for the, the people development aspects of your role are most necessary. And some of these other things, if you can teach them to leverage the resources that are being made available, then they may not have to call you at 2 a.m. to get every question. Mm-hmm. Answered, you know, And that's, it's a, it seems like it's been a, a tough thing to overcome in certain cases. Yeah, no, and you're hundred percent correct. It's, um, you know, you probably never take away something from an employee without giving them something to do in its place yeah. when it when it comes to that. I think that's a really brilliant way to to look at it. Drilling down, it's like the, the, you ask why five times before you get to the root of the, the answer, right? Um, so, you know, do you like people calling you at two in the morning? Well, no. Um, why do you why do you tolerate it? Well, because I enjoy that I'm the source of truth. I enjoy being the person they lean on. Uh, that is something that should absolutely be nurtured. And to your point, making something more efficient through technology, if it, if it can be automated, it probably should be automated within reason. Um, so saying, we are going to take this off your plate because you're so good at it and give you this instead. Um, and I, I think that sometimes that happens organically, uh, especially with people who are promoted to a leadership position, but it's never explicitly spoken. Um, and there is a little bit of like, you know, oh, but I always check the mail or whatever it is that they're doing. And it's like, yes, and you did such a great job that now we're going to let some, you supervise a person checking the mail and you are going to do all the emails, whatever it is. Right. Um, we need to be more explicit with our communication that we're that we're seeing this as a promotion and then also be amenable to feedback. How do you feel about that? No, I, I really actually like the calls at two in the morning. I like that shift. I like that life maybe this is a person who should retain that task then right. uh, or begin teaching others how to do it. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, a two-way street always, but it definitely how people feel their emotions about how they feel about their job definitely contribute to what they're, what they do and how well they do it. I've seen one of my, one of your favorite or one of your qualities that is one of my favorites is your ability to connect with people. 
And I remember that when you first came on the team and I remember getting to witness that when we were out with that client that we were just talking about and just seeing the way that you interacted with all the folks at this location, um, weird hours of the day and weird questions and all of that stuff. And you just have this great ability to bring them comfort and explain things in a very simple fashion. And so it was really fun to watch you do that. And I'm, I'm wondering if there are any observations that you've made of the, the men and women that you've interacted with on the front lines and just being on the, the project calls and things like that, that maybe the rest of us aren't seeing. Are there any kind of myths or, or misunderstandings about the men and women on the front lines that you think some of your um, exposure has kind of enlightened you about? Oh man, where do I start? Um, I guess if I had to describe the, the average frontline employee that I've encountered, um, first and foremost, they are a skilled, intelligent person. Um, they know how to do stuff uh, more than going through my master's program prepared me to do. <laughs> um, as far as like this, this is a, you know, an oil rig, this is an elevator, this is my truck, and there's not a single question you can toss them that'll throw them. Oh yeah, I know. I know. You know, it's, I don't know. I don't just know how to drive. I know how the engine works because they've been on their own. They've had to do these things. Um, just trying to broadly explain, um, you know, these, these people are usually pretty tech savvy. Um, I've, I've met more than one who, although they don't use a whole lot of mobile technology on the job, they go home to their giant battle station and game all day and have made their own server racks and such. So they're hobbyists. They're, they're just really great salt of the earth people. And again, at the risk of getting mushy, um, uh, the conveniences that I have are because of their labor. It's, it's been very, um, you know, great to meet them face to face, especially on the back of the COVID disruption that, that so many people suffered from. Um, I think the other thing that would just surprise people or maybe not surprise, but just, um, hadn't thought about before, <clears throat> pardon me, is, you know, if I'm working in a, in a cubicle in a business um, and I have a question, I can lean, you know, hey, you know, Susie, what was the answer? I can, I have internet most likely, unless it's a weird day. Um, I have my own personal cell phone there. I have my uh, work device. I can probably get an answer to a question, let me say in a minute or less. And that's just a number I've pulled out of the air. If I am out working on a pipeline somewhere, I have no internet connection, there's nobody else out there with me, a customer staring at me, <laughs> um, you, you don't just feel like you're on an island, you are on an island. Uh, to get an answer, I may have to drive back to a coffee shop, I may have to drive back to a home office or a DC. Um, there may not be anyone there who can help me. I, I may still be on my own to try to find the information somewhere. Um, let's hope the L&D team has kept the knowledge base correct. Let's hope nothing changed uh, yesterday before five o'clock uh, when, when I wasn't available. Um, I'm pretty adrift and that affects not only the, the personas we're talking about, the enjoyment of the job from the, the cube worker versus the on the field worker, but then the customer's, you know, experience, you know, I call a tech support line. I'm helped immediately. If somebody comes to my house and I hope they can help me, but it's probably going to take hours and they may have to come back. So, and, and again, I'm exaggerating the point to just kind of show, I don't think people fully wrap their brain around how quick and smart and resourceful these people need to be to get through their routes and to get through their day 
and deliver the SLAs for their companies. And yet they don't even have emails, some of them. They, they're missing one of the fundamental ways to even communicate. They're missing internet connectivity. They're missing a fundamental way to resource themselves for help. And I think most people would be most surprised about that and maybe give a little more forgiveness when you know, they've got someone at their house and they don't quite have all the answers immediately that there's layers there. And this person's doing absolutely the best they can. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful stuff. And, and Jean, co-host of the show, has often said, um, we have to stop thinking of frontline workers as the opposite of knowledge workers because they are also knowledge workers. And that's one of the reasons we often use the term deskless to refer to the men and women that, you know, we're talking about out in the field or in a retail store. It's, it's not that they're not a knowledge worker. It's just that they do their job away from a desk, which makes their role very different. And you've mm -hmm. made a fantastic point several times today that they really have to think on their feet. There's a lot for them to have to decide. They have to be empowered to make decisions. And I guess that's really part of the point going back to the supervisor conversation. It's like, we need to free them from the challenges of using technology and being successful with the technology. Everybody gets that guy, Eric, that we were talking about before. He said, listen, I get it. It's a tool. I know I need to use it. I just wish I didn't have to, <laughs> right? So he, he understands it. It's not that he doesn't get it. Um, but it's just like, man, I'm, I'm out there trying to do all these other things in my job. And now you're telling me I got to change, you know, my mobile device for my mobile application for the third time in five years. Like, this is frustrating. And, uh, what we need to do is make that process as easy for them as possible so that they can then go use their, uh, you know, their personality, their intellectual capabilities to solve the problems that, you know, we can't automate. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And that's a very human way to feel. There's nothing wrong with it. I get it. I can sure. relate to that. For sure. Yeah, it is. And I, it's one of the things that, um, you know, you, you were saying earlier about how you've kind of thought back to other projects that you've been a part of and, and going through the change management, just to circle back around to the ATD program, how you've looked back and realized in some of the other projects you've been a part of where change had been implemented well and, and where it hadn't been uh, implemented so well. And as I think back now, I've, I've done the same thing, even though I haven't been through that same program. I think this podcast has actually made me go back and think about so many projects I've been a part of in the past. And when I've seen resistance from some of the, the team members and I've seen them getting frustrated, many times I chalked it up to uh, a lack of willingness on their part. And I, I realize now, I think in a lot of cases, they were frustrated. They had anxiety, mm -hmm. they had stress. They, they felt like they were on an island. A lot of the terms that, that Eric educated me on made me realize that these other men and women were probably feeling the same way. And I, I wish I could go back in time and ask better questions than maybe I did back then. Mm -hmm. um, I can't go back in time. So all we can do is kind of fix that going forward here. And, and that's right. really the purpose of this show is to just say like, what questions can we be asking better to make sure that we really understand that we have our finger on the pulse of, of the people that we're expecting to change and what are the tools and strategies that we can put in place to, to make that process, uh, you know, as enjoyable as possible and ensure mm -hmm. success for all involved. Yeah, I agree. You've been a fantastic guest today. Um, I really, really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. It's been a, a fantastic departure. It's so exciting. You're the first person from the skillful team other than Gene and me uh, to be able to, to have on the show and get your perspective. And um, today's been great. I think we should probably do this more often. Uh, yeah, I've had such a blast. This has been great. Thank you so much. 
Well, awesome. Well, I do need to wrap the show up. And so uh, for our audience, I, I am certain that you have found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. Uh, if so, please share and rate the podcast. As you hear me say every time at the end of the podcast, five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. The podcast is sponsored by Skillful, and we normally don't talk about Skillful as much as we did today, um, but I appreciate you giving us an opportunity to, to show a little bit behind the scenes of some of the things that we have going on with our clients and to be able to highlight one of our fantastic professionals on our team. So uh, as a reminder, Skillful is the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the website at skyllful.com. And we're always looking for new guests on the show. So if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on the next episode. Erica, thanks again. You bet. Thank you.